Today on Blue 58, the Packers' home opener had a little bit of everything. But beyond the ups and downs and terrific ending, is there something more brewing in Green Bay? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I'm happy to be with you here for another episode. Quite a win, wouldn't you say? Uh, We try to stay away from the hacky kind of narrative stuff. On this podcast, every week you could go into a game or come out of a game and spin it to be about basically whatever you want it to be about. The defense, the offense, Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur, who's failing who, who's wasting who's prime, things like that. And usually that's pretty easy to avoid, but looking at a game like this, it just begs for it. It's begging you to just sit down and say, this is where it all starts for Jordan Love and the Packers. This is where everything turns around. And, you know, there's really no reason to say that that's not true. The first start for Jordan Love at home, the Packers look dead in the water in the first half. And for much of the second half, you've got no David Bakhtiari for many different reasons. You've got no Elton Jenkins. You've got no Aaron Jones. You've got no Christian Watson. Late in the week, we learned that Jair Alexander is hurting, and it turns out that he doesn't play at all either. Devondre Campbell goes out. The offense looks completely, impossibly disjointed, just unable to do anything at all. And yet here we sit, Sunday evening, looking back on an 18-17 Packers win. A win sparked in large part by plays down the stretch by Jordan Love. If you were writing a legendary origin story, if you were writing the story of where it all began, the mythical history of the beginning of the Jordan Love era, that would be the kind of situation you're setting up. In fact, setting it up like that might have a your editor going, okay, we're putting it on a little bit thick, aren't we? We're stacking the odds too much against Love and the Packers. We're making this look a little bit more spectacular than it needs to. And again, this really happened. This is what we're left with. The Packers coming out after being down 17 to nothing in the fourth quarter with a win. And again, this game had everything. A special teams touchdown, a defensive meltdown of sorts for the Saints, and I guess for the Packers in some ways, An offensive meltdown for the Packers, and I guess for the Saints as well, too. Key injuries on both sides. A key rally by the Packers. Fourth down plays, both good and bad. And even some clutch analytical decisions. At least one really big one that we'll talk about here in a second. Leading to the Packers' win. And the win. They get the win. They're 2-1. and And they're stealing those early season wins. Once again, it gets a lot easier down the stretch when you're sitting here in September with two wins, one of which you probably, maybe definitely, shouldn't have had. The shoe is on the other foot from where it was last week. The Packers let the Falcons back into that one. And this week, the Saints obligingly do the same for the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers take advantage. So let's talk about three great things from this win. Not just good things, great things. First and foremost, I think the resilience of the Packers, both on offense and on defense, 
It would have been so easy at halftime, down 17 to nothing, or whatever it was at the half, it doesn't really matter. It would have been so easy when the Packers were down 17 nothing, whenever that was in, in the course of this game, kind of lose track. It would have been so easy to just pack it in, to say, well, no Jones, no Watson, no Jenkins, no Bakhtiari, Devondre Campbell's out, Jair Alexander's out. We tried our best. They got us today. The Packers were always going to have to win ugly in this game, and it got even uglier as the game went on, and the Packers were fine with that. I feel like that wasn't always the case in the Aaron Rodgers era. Sometimes when things got a little ugly, late McCarthy era, throughout the Aaron Rodgers time in Green Bay, sometimes when things started to go off the rails, you just said, well, that's going to be it, and usually it was. Not today. The Packers were resilient. The Packers hung in there. And the Packers got some help in some key situations. Doesn't hurt that Derek Carr went down. Doesn't hurt that one of the Packers' two key scoring drives was fueled in large part by two enormous pass interference calls. The Packers' uh, first, I guess, touchdown scoring drive uh, included a, a 40-yard pass interference call, and a 20-yard pass interference call. That makes it a lot easier to get down the field. In fact, 45 yards and 22 yards. Uh, Wide receiver one, defensive pass interference, coming up with 67 key yards on that very drive, (laughs) including one play where Isaac Yadam, formerly of the Green Bay Packers, had not one but two plays or two penalties on the same play. Things sometimes break your way, and that's okay. But a big part of winning ugly is taking advantage of those ugly moments, and there were a couple of them for the Packers. But they were resilient, they hung in there, they hung tough, and they got the job done down the stretch. Aggression, I think, is another real big thing to like here. Fourth down calls in particular. The Packers emptying the clip in the second half, just leaving everything out there that they could, including some that didn't necessarily work work out. You've got the misfire to Patrick Taylor. They may have addressed it after the game who was at fault there. I did not catch it, did not have a chance to go back and look. Suffice it to say that was not how that play was supposed to go. But the Packers down 17 going for it on fourth and two, saying we need points to get back into this game. Kicking for three and hoping is not going to be the way that we do it. But then even better, going for two, when the lead cuts down from 14 to 8. So this is really important, and this is an analytical trend that has been building throughout the NFL for a while. It feels a little bit counterintuitive, but I think if you look at, at how it works out and how it worked out for the Packers, it makes perfect sense. And as soon as the Packers scored to cut it from 17 to 3 to 17 to whatever 8 down from that, 17 to 9 was, I was saying go for 2, go for 2, go for 2, because of what this sets up for you. So walking you through it, if the Packers are down 14, they score the touchdown to go down eight. The logical thing to do there is to go for two, in part because it gives you two chances to to tie, but it also gives you a chance to win outright without going to overtime. And basically what it does is it gives you the easiest path to win that is most within your control. Here's a repost of a 2019 article from ESPN Analytics guy 
Seth Walder explaining some, some of the thinking about this. This is the base level explanation of how it works, quoting from this article, quote, because the odds of converting a two-point conversion once in one try are higher than failing twice in two tries, going for it is the smart thing to do. Assuming the team is going to score another touchdown, none of this matters if it doesn't, and prevents the op- opponent from scoring again, going for two down eight now gives the team an informational advantage that indicates what to do after its next touchdown. If the team converts on the first two-point try, it knows that it only needs a PAT on the second touchdown to win. If it fails, the team knows that it has to go for two again the second time to have a chance to tie. Kicking two extra points maximizes the chance to reach overtime, but attempting the two-point conversion when down eight points late maximizes the chance to win the game, which is the ultimate goal. I think the the key line in there is that it gives you an informational advantage. You know exactly what you have to do to win. So you're down 14 points, you score. You say we're going to go to 2, so go for 2 and then we're down only 6. All we need then is a stop and another touchdown which you need anyway. And then your PAT which is like 99% sure 99% a sure thing and you win the game. As opposed to, okay, we, we still need two touchdowns anyway. What we're going to do is we're going to kick the PAT now, get it to seven, score another touchdown, kick the PAT again, and then we still need at some point either another stop or to get the, the first possession in overtime and go down and score a touchdown, and then we win. You're getting as much information as you, as you can about what you need to do to either tie or win, and you're also stacking the deck in your favor. It's just the smart thing to do, and the Packers passed the test here. Finally, in terms of good things, how about Rashawn Gary being all the way back? Three sacks today. He didn't know that the Packers were trailing. He just went out there and kept doing his business regardless. This was the first time the Packers, IA Packers players had three sacks in a game since Zadarius Smith did it against the Falcons in 2020. October 5th, 2020, had three sacks against the Falcons on Monday Night Football. Who are the last three Packers to have three sacks in a game? Think about it for a second. I bet you get two of them, well, other than Rashawn Gary. Prior to Rashawn Gary, who were the last three Packers to have three sacks in a game? Give you a second to think. The first one is Adarius Smith, so you got that one for sure. You probably guess the next one is Preston Smith. And if you guess that the next one was Kyler Fackrell, you've got a pretty darn good memory because he did it not once, but twice in the 2018 season, three sacks in a game, once against the Buffalo Bills, once on Thursday night football, I think against the Seattle Seahawks, including one really egregious sack. Well, two pretty egregious sacks in both those games. One where uh, rookie Josh Allen just tripped and Kyler Fackrell happened to be in the neighborhood and was credited for the sack, even though I don't believe he ever actually touched Allen down. And then on Sunday Night Football, uh, Russell Wilson runs a naked bootleg and just runs right into Kyler Fackrell's waiting arms without even seeing them there before he turned around. Stats are stats. Rashawn Gary gets three sacks and joins the illustrious company of sack masters such as Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and Kyler Fackrell. In any case, good sacks, bad sacks, sacks that are meaningful, this, that, and the other thing, Rashawn Gary is a real leader, I think, for this Packers team. And he's leading as much by 
example in terms of his production as his attitude and his approach. Everything that you've heard about Gary coming out of the Packers this year talks about his professionalism, his desire to be back, how hard he's worked to get back to this point after his ACL injury. And it's just so satisfying in, in, in addition to seeing the Packers win, in addition to seeing the good things that are happening for Jordan Love and all the things that he's doing, good things happening for Rashawn Gary too, because of how hard he has worked to get to this point. Now, let's talk in passing about some bad things. Because I think nobody wants to kind of harsh the vibe here. It's exciting to come back from a 17 to nothing win. And of course, there were going to be some bad things. You don't get into a 17 to nothing hole if things are going really well for you across the board. We talked a lot in week two about complimentary football and how the Packers let themselves down through some failures of complimentary football at various stages. That was evident in this game again. The Packers' offense failing on fourth down early puts the defense in a bad spot. The special teams portion of the Packers being not so special and giving up a punt return touchdown again puts the Packers in a pretty rough spot. 17 to nothing on the defense sounds pretty bad, but only giving up 10 points on defense sounds a heck of a lot better, which is the reality because the defense isn't out there giving up a 70-whatever yard touchdown return uh, to Rashid Shahid, so who we said was not particularly impressive on punt returns last year, and then he goes and does that. Uh, I guess the Packers' special teams unit just remains a cure-all for all middling punt returners everywhere. In any case, complimentary football failed the Packers again, and I think this this game is going to end up looking worse in a lot of ways for the Packers' defense than it necessarily has to, because I don't think that overall they necessarily played particularly bad. Sure, it helps that Derek Carr goes out, but he was not exactly lighting the world on fire before he came out. 13 of 18 for 103 yards. The big big good part there is just the the efficiency there. 13 of 18 is not too bad, but it's not like he's having a ton of success going down the field. It was, it was pretty much just dink and dunk, and maybe that's what the, the Saints would have needed in the second half, but we don't know, and we're never, we're never going to know. But overall, I think the defense holding the Saints to just 10 points on offense, one of which came on a 49-yard drive, one touchdown came on a 49-yard drive for the Saints. I mean, that's a pretty good day. Generally speaking, though, the offense puts the defense sometimes in bad positions and the special teams puts both of them in bad positions. That is some complimentary football failing again. Secondly, Chris Olave, I know we talked about injuries a little bit, but he... He made things tough on the Packers today, and a lot of that was injury-related, but we we talk about not being surprised by the obvious again, and maybe Olave is just going to get his, but 104 yards was nearly enough to do it for him, especially uh, when a lot of it came on the Saints' final drive. It just looked like they did not have an answer for him, and the truth might have been that they, they didn't because they were just out of defensive back bodies, which is something we talked about in in the preseason a lot. Yeah, it looks like they have some depth, at corner, but all it takes is one injury to Jair Alexander, and suddenly you keep Keyshawn Nixon in the slot, you still got Rasul Douglas on the outside, and who's the other outside quarter? Well, Corey Ballantyne and Carrington Valentine were the answers today. Valentine gets a little banged up, but hangs in there tough for the majority of the game, but you get pretty thin in a hurry. It would be really nice to have Eric Stokes back out there in some capacity, assuming that that capacity is better than what he was in the early 2022 portion of the season. And again, just the special teams let down a real, real bummer to see on top of the complimentary football aspect. 
I don't know if there needs to be a conversation about Rich Bisacci at some point, but it sure seems like for the special teams fix-everything guru that he was supposed to be, the Packers still have a lot of the same consistent problems on special teams, and maybe they're just unlucky. But maybe there's something else to that. I don't know. I think it just has to be on the table at some point. Don't know if we're there, but um, I don't think you can entirely rule it out. What does it mean? I put this in my recap notes template a long time ago, and every week I wonder why it's here. But I think it's important to have in the game, in the game recap, because figuring out what a win means is important. Sometimes it doesn't mean much of anything. Sometimes you sit there and say, we stole one, we won a game we shouldn't have, we lost a game despite playing pretty well, we lost a game because, you know, Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone, or Jordan Love forgot to drive to the stadium today, or the bus got hit by a meteorite, you know, it doesn't always mean something. But sometimes it feels like it does. And again, if you were going to write the Jordan Love origin story, I think it would look a little bit something like this. Is this that? I don't know. And I don't think anybody can. There's going to be a lot of people who really want it to be. There might be some people who don't want it to be that. I know it's exciting. And I know it means they stole a win. And stealing things can sometimes be a lot of fun when you're not supposed to have them. And it's a win the Packers should not have had. But 2-1 looks pretty darn good. And we know the Packers are resilient. We know that they can hang tough when things are not going right. They even did that, I think, last week to an extent. And we know that they can play loose. And maybe that's what it means most of all, beyond the narrative stuff, beyond the the standings. Maybe it just means that they've all just got to loosen up a little bit. Let Jordan Love figure out what it means to be Jordan Love rather than just saying, this is what the offense needs you to be. What does Jordan Love need to be? Maybe that's a question the Packers need to start asking now. Because you can get him into the offense. You can have him play RoboQB. You can have him do just... We're going to go this read, we're going to go this read, we're going to go this read, and that's going to be it. And as long as you're doing those things, we're going to be happy with you. Or you can let him be that guy that he was always supposed to be, be the elite arm talent guy, be the playmaker, be the gunslinger. Let him get out there and run around and throw it around a little bit. Sometimes it might be ugly, but sometimes maybe it sparks a comeback drive. Sometimes maybe he finds Samori Toure open and lost in the end zone on a two-point conversion. Maybe he finds Romeo Dobbs for a toe-tapper down the sideline. Maybe he slings one to Jaden Reed, who just always kind of seems to be a little bit open. And maybe Jordan Love figures out along the way what his version of Matt LaFleur's offense looks like. Because at some point, that is going to happen. At some point the theory about what this is all supposed to look like is going to morph into what it actually is. And that needs to happen. And maybe this is a step toward that. Maybe down the stretch as Jordan Love is is leading two touchdown drives late, the Packers are saying to themselves, this is what we really, this is what he needs to be more than what we need him to be. And I think there's going to be, have to be some of that kind of exchange This is who Jordan Love can be. This is what we need him to be. How do those things marry together, and what do they look like when they do? Maybe it looks a little bit like this in the fourth quarter. We don't know. We won't know for a long time. It might be years still before we know that for sure. But maybe this was a step 
toward that. We do know what happens next. We're going to be back here talking about a Packers win or loss in the relatively near future because the Packers play the Detroit Lions this coming Thursday on, believe it or not, Thursday Night Football. Lions beat Atlanta in Detroit today, 20-6. to A lot of this is going to depend on the Packers. And I think if you're looking at the inactives, it's going to depend on the Packers who are available. Let me finish that sentence. I think if you look at the inactives the Packers released today, there's a way that you can read it as a preview for what's coming on Thursday. Because if the Packers thought, okay, this divisional game is probably more important than this random week three matchup with the Saints. We got to really bank these divisional wins if we can. And if we can continue to build our, our wins within the division, then we've really got something come November, December. Maybe... Christian Watson and Aaron Jones are back and ready to go for week four in part because they were held out of week three. The Packers know they're going to be on short rest this week anyway. If they have Jones and Watson today, maybe they don't have them for Thursday night football. And then you're, you end up maybe sacrificing a divisional game for a less important game outside your division. I don't know that for sure. But it feels like things might be pointing that direction a little bit. Same maybe with Jair Alexander. Jair and Devondre Campbell are probably going to be the ones to watch this week. My guess is that Jones and Watson are going to play, but it's going to depend, I think, on on a couple things off the field, rehab, stuff like that, to get Jair Alexander and Devondre Campbell out there again. Defense looked pretty okay, though, without Campbell out there for most of the game. Rookie watch. Lucas Van Ness, pretty limited in this game. One tackle, uh, but he did have the elbow injury. I think he only played about a dozen snaps in this one, so... Not a big, extensive performance for Lucas Van Ness, which I think is is to be expected considering his injury last week. Luke Musgrave, six catches, 49 yards, a career-high eight targets in this one. Still trying to get him in the end zone. That, I think, will come sooner or later. But he looks like exactly what they thought he was going to be to start this season. Still pretty raw. Still struggles to get his feet under him at some times. But he's athletic and he can make plays when they are there to be made, which is more than we can say about some recent Packers tight ends, one of whom scored a touchdown today. We'll talk about that in a second here. Jaden Reed, three catches for 63 yards. Hands are a little bit suspect, but he makes enough big plays that it feels like he's that three-point shooter in basketball that just has to keep firing. Maybe it's not going in. Maybe sometimes it looks a little bit ugly, but he's the best three-point shooter you got right now, so you just got to keep putting him up there. And nobody really is making plays at the rate that Jaden Reed is on offense. So you just got to keep throwing him the ball and hope for the best. And it ended up with 63 yards today. So shoot, keep doing it. Tucker Craft, no targets. I did not see him out there today. I missed a good chunk of the second quarter because we had problems with Sunday Ticket on YouTube. They didn't believe that I was in the location that I said I was for some whatever reason. Google, you know everything about me. YouTube should know where I am. I don't understand this. What is an IP address anyway? Anyway, if he was out there in the second quarter, I didn't see him, and I didn't see him out there in the other three quarters. Same for Colby Wooden. Empty stat sheet today. Didn't see him out there a whole lot. I would guess under a dozen snaps for him, too. If we saw, if we guessed about a dozen for Lucas Van Ness and don't really remember seeing him out there, I bet Wooden is that or fewer this week. Sean Clifford, another DNP. Great job, Sean. That's exactly what we want from you. You, You're doing a great job. Just stay right over there. Hopefully we don't need to see you anymore this season except for as the human victory cigar. 
Dontavion Wicks. I feel like Wicks is what Malik Heath was supposed to be, but also that's kind of to be expected. Uh, Wicks a little bit limited in training camp because of injury, coming along a little bit slowly. Now he's proving why he should have been probably a higher pick than he was. Four catches, 45 yards on six targets, making making things work. Uh, just always seems to be open and ready when he gets the ball. Carl Brooks, no tackles, but one pass defensed. Anders Carlson, still perfect. One for one on field goals, one for one on extra points. I was certain there were two kicks in this game that I was certain beyond a shadow of a doubt were going to be missed. The first one was Carlson's go-ahead PAT, which I was wrong about. The second one uh, was Blake Gruppe's game-winning field goal. I just had the feeling that it was going to be wide right. He was going to push it, and that is exactly what he did. So glad to only be one for doing that one. Carlson, though, remains perfect. Off to a great start this year for a guy who was pretty up and down in training camp. Carrington Valentine. Talk about learning experiences. Beat up a little bit in this one, physically and metaphorically. Maybe even a little bit more than beat up. Uh, Maybe actually injured here. No stats, but hung in there a lot against Chris Olave. Remains a willing tackler, which is about as much as you can hope for for rookie defensive back, if you like. And... uh, to loosely, loosely paraphrase John Wooden, the best thing about young defensive backs is hopefully they become old defensive backs at some point. And Valentine has the tools. It's just going to take him a little while to get there and getting beat up on as part of that process. Anthony Johnson inactive today. I hope that we get to see him sooner or later. That may be coming in the in the relatively near future because the Packers have to make at least one move. We'll talk about this week. Uh, Malik Heath, two targets, no catches. Emmanuel Wilson, two carries for six yards, one catch for six yards. I would like to see a little bit more Emmanuel Wilson in the office, just like a little bit more, like get him to five to seven touches, see what he can do with a little bit more burn out there. But the way that Patrick Taylor has been playing, or at least the way that he played today and looked like the Packers were counting on him today, Shoot, I, I don't know how much more opportunity there is going to be for Wilson, but we'll see. Uh, Brenton Cox, active for the first time today, did not record a stat. We will have to see tomorrow when the playing time stuff comes out uh, how much time that he may have gotten, if any, uh, on defense or on special teams. Did not see him out there on defense, but maybe he played a little bit of special teams in this one. Uh, emptying the notebook. Starting with uniforms, awesome-looking game. Would have loved it even more if the Saints were in their gold pants or their black pants. But a great-looking team in just about every set that they have. Uh, wonderful contrast to the Packers' home uniforms. I think, for my money, the best-looking game of the year so far, even better than the Packers-Bears game in Week 1. Packers at home, Saints in their road whites. Pretty darn good-looking game. Uh, we touched on a bit, a, bit, a bit there for a second, but... Talking about Patrick Taylor, he was the guy for the Packers. It looked like down the stretch in their game-winning drive. The Packers really seemed to trust him, especially in pass protection. He's come a long way since he was a rookie who barely played way back in 2020, 2021 maybe. Uh, I've lost track of of how long he's been around in his career. It's been a while now. Uh, But I think the Packers are, well, they are out of elevations getting him up off the practice squad. So if they want him on the 53 for this week, and based on what we saw today, why wouldn't they? They seem to really like him and what he brings to the offense. So who's it going to be that gets the short end of the stick? My money would probably be on Zane Anderson. 
which takes one safety out of the equation if you're looking to get Anthony Johnson on the field. Uh, but the Packers are going to have to make a move here if they want uh, Taylor on the 53-man roster, and I think the assumption would have to be that they do. Old friend alert today in this one, Jimmy Graham scoring a touchdown on his first target of the season and only target of the game. Somewhat hilariously, he had a touchdown in Green Bay almost exactly four years ago to the day he caught a touchdown against the Philadelphia Eagles in a loss. On September 26th, 2019, his second to last touchdown with the Green Bay Packers would score one a week later against the Oakland Raiders, and that would be it for the Jimmy Graham era as far as scoring went in Green Bay. Romeo Dobbs on offense. I think there was plenty of reason to be skeptical coming into the season. I think some of those same reasons still exist, but I think he's been markedly better this year than he was last year. And I think he has shored up some of his weaknesses. He's never going to be a big-bodied receiver. He's never going to be a guy who wins with physicality. Romeo Dobbs is a finesse-type receiver, and that is fine in the right circumstances. Those circumstances are always going to include having to be strong at the catch point, which is something that I think was not true of Dobbs last year and appears to be very true of him this year. If you are throwing end zone fades to Romeo Dobbs, he has improved his strength at the catch point. If he is reliably hauling in plays along the uh, along the sideline, hands catches, he has improved his strength at the catch point. He has at least done that. And we have not yet gotten to see him playing with Christian Watson, which I think is going to work really well for Dobbs because I think his ultimate identity is as that bucket getter number two receiver, that guy that you are not allowed to forget about because the other guy is drawing so much attention. Because Christian Watson's speed is such that you always have to be paying attention to him, Romeo Dobbs is going to be that guy who sneaks up on you. And I think that is a great place for him to be in. And then that also opens up some things for Jaden Reed. You can kind of see how all these skill sets fit together so nicely. Christian Watson drawing the attention with his his speed when he's out there. Romeo Dobbs taking advantage of maybe some weaker coverage because of the, the things that roll towards Watson's side. And Reed just kind of being that gadget guy who can pop up just about anywhere. Flipping over to defense, Quay Walker wearing the green dot helmet today. I may be way behind on this. Maybe they've been having him do this all year. I think usually that's Devondre Campbell's job. But Walker was in the dot today, uh, and that is something that he said he struggled with at times last year when Devondre Campbell was out. But it looks like Quay Walker is maturing as a player. That is very nice to see. It looks like he just is more in control of himself this year. And that is only a good thing for the Packers. Still has some some warts to his game. Still has some growth that he needs to go through. But all second-year players are kind of in that situation. He's still got to grow a little bit. And the growth process is part of what this season is going to be about. Taking on that responsibility of calling plays is part of that for Quay Walker. Finally, Jordan Love, the passer, is going to get a lot of attention in this game. But I think we should also mention Jordan Love, the runner. Nine carries for 39 yards so far, or well, not so far. The game is over. Nine carries for 39 yards in this game, including at least one designed run. Well, one run where he had an option to run, which he did and ran the ball in for a touchdown. Always good to see. And another 24-yard run. The second week in a row he's had a 24-yard run, which is the first time, as we've mentioned, since about 2017 that a Packers quarterback had had a run that long. 
to me, the way that he runs is just about ideal for a quarterback. There is a difference between a quarterback who can run and a running quarterback. And I think that should be obvious what I'm talking about if if you've watched football for any amount of time. Jordan Love is a quarterback who can run. It is part of his game. It is not the defining feature of this game of his game. Justin Fields, maybe to, to pick on the Bears a little bit, but Justin Fields is is a running quarterback. He is a quarterback whose primary skill set, it seems at least at this point, is running the ball. And you need to be building your offense about around his ability to run. Otherwise, he's going to struggle or have to do a lot of things off schedule or this, that, and the other thing just because he needs to run to be effective. Love is not that way. He can run. And when he does, he is often very effective, but it is not a central part of his game. Yet it is something he can be very effective at. And that is very important. Honestly, if I was building a quarterback, that is the kind of model I would want to build around. A guy who can run, but doesn't necessarily have to. That is the ideal, if you ask me. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. Pretty exciting. 18 to 17 is is an exciting game. You, you, You wouldn't think that just from the score. But man, pretty exciting to be here, having witnessed a comeback win. That is all I've got for you, though. I'm excited to see what this week brings. I'm excited for a preview episode right off the bat here because we got to talk some Lions football before Thursday night football. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed this win, if you enjoyed talking about it with me, I would encourage you to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to be the number one way we continue to grow. It always has been and it always will be. And doing that is going to get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.